What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Dream a Little, the podcast that's all about helping you feel confident with your kinks so you can courageously share it with your significant other. Today, we have an extra special guest, Dr. Rhoda. I was so excited to have her on the show because I've heard her on another podcast before, and I just loved all the advice she had to give, and I think she's such a great person. Dr. Rhoda is not an ABDL herself, but she has almost nine years of experience working with people in our community. I think you're going to love this episode, especially if you've been holding off on introducing ABDL to your partner because maybe you're just concerned about whether or not this is an acceptable or healthy kink to have, or maybe you're just curious to know what a sex therapist actually thinks about this kink. Maybe you've been curious to speak with a therapist, but you're not sure how to find one that will be open-minded about ABDL. So we're going to cover all of that in today's episode. Even if you've listened to every single episode of this podcast, I think there's something so powerful about hearing it from a professional. And I think it's also rare to find a sex therapist with this much experience working with ABDL specifically. So you're in for a real treat today. If you love Dr. Rhoda as much as I do, definitely reach out to her and consider setting up a meeting. All resources mentioned in this episode, along with Dr. Rhoda's contact information, will be available at thelittlelounge.com slash 97. That's thelittlelounge.com slash 97. And as always, I will link to that in the show notes. Okay, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Let's just jump straight into the interview with Dr. Rhoda. Hi, Dr. Rhoda. Thank you so much for coming on Dream a Little. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be on. I'm so excited to finally pick your brain. I've never actually talked to a therapist or a sex therapist at all. So I'm really curious to, to learn some more. And I know that the people listening are too. Just to start this off, I'm just curious. And I know that some other people in the community are also curious. When you go to school to become a sex therapist, a doctor, is ABDL something that is talked about? Do you learn about it in school? No, I learned nothing about it in either my master's program or my doctoral program. It's really not discussed at all. So most therapists around the country don't have much knowledge about it, uh, which is a huge problem because then when people go in, they already feel, you know, a little uncomfortable trying to talk to this stranger about this. And then if they don't know anything, now you're having to educate your therapist, which, you know, is not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you find out about this? Did you have a patient who was talking to you about this and you did some more research or how did you stumble upon it, basically? Well, I stumbled upon it in probably about eight and a half years ago when the first person came to see me. And after a number of sessions, he kind of got up his nerve and and told me what he really wanted to talk about. And while I had heard of it, I really didn't have any knowledge on it. And particularly eight plus years ago, there was so little written on it that there wasn't much of anything for me to use. So I was sort of like, well, I guess we're just going to have to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I basically told him like, well, I know that overall fetishes are not something that change. And so really the best way, particularly when it's something as as completely not a big deal as as 
as diapers are. I mean, it's, it's a quirk. It's really not harmful. It doesn't hurt anyone else. It's more about helping the person to accept it, helping them to explain it to partners, and to cope with what's often been a lifetime of embarrassment and shame and guilt and fear that people will find out and, and judge them harshly. Yes, 100%. Yeah, and so that's what we started doing. And one led to two, and two led to three. And so when it was time to do my doctoral dissertation, I decided it was best to do it on that subject because there was just so little written on it. Yes. So do you often get part or people who come to you and they need help with kind of talking about this and sharing this with a, someone they love, a partner? Oh, certainly. And, and you know, and it, it really varies on, on partners. You know, you'll have some people who will be very understanding and open and and some will embrace it some will at least be willing to engage some of the time and others may not necessarily feel comfortable engaging but they're they're perfectly okay with their partner maybe wearing around them or or finding other ways of getting those needs met and then occasionally you find the people who just are so rigid in their thinking that everything has to be their way there's no middle ground and those are usually the most problematic because those are the ones you know where often I'll look at the person and say you know if your partner's going to be this rigid and there's no middle ground there's not much there's nothing we have to work with yeah there's no working with that no there isn't and you know at times like that sometimes people have to make very difficult decisions about whether or not that relationship is really viable anymore yes how do you advise people to kind of bring up the topic, if you will? Well, again, it depends on the situation. If it's if it's an established relationship, you know, which I've had, sometimes the person's been married for years, their partner doesn't even know, might suspect, but doesn't really know, you know, then that's a different situation than if you're dealing with a dating situation and you're trying to figure out how do I talk to somebody who I'm dating to see if they're even going to be okay with this. That's a lot different. Yeah. Because once you've been together for a while, it's like there's a sense of almost betrayal, especially if you've been married a little bit. I feel like people feel like you've been left out of the loop for so long. Right. You've been left out of the loop for so long. Why didn't we talk about this before? It's hard to bring up something, anything, you know, whether it's ABDL issues or anything that just suddenly after five years of marriage, now you're bringing this up. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a little tough. Uh, and I've I've had it happen, and we've we've dealt with it, and and actually quite well. You know, the marriage stayed together, and while she wasn't real thrilled with wanting to engage, she was more than happy with him wearing because she saw the benefits of how much calmer he was, how much more relaxed, how important this was for him, and so they did they did find a way of of finding a middle ground compromise. Yeah. Okay, cool. How about when it comes to explaining this kink to family members? Well, a lot of it depends on whether or not family members even need to know. Yes, I agree. I mean, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's different if family members have discovered it. Okay, then you've got to find a way to talk about it and talk about what it means. But a lot of times, if particularly when we're dealing with more of the, the fetish end of the ABDL continuum, you know, it's like any other type of 
sexual issue in your life? Do you really need to talk about this with your family if they're not involved in it? I mean, how many of us talk about the details of our sex life to our parents and our siblings and Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, like most of us don't. You know, even if we have what would be considered very typical types of behaviors, we, we just don't talk about that. Yes, I agree. So, you know, in a situation like that, I'd say, why are you even needing to tell your family? Yes, 100%. Okay. Yeah. In your professional opinion, do you think having a fetish like this, like an ABGL fetish, is normal and healthy? And at what point does it become a problem? Well, I don't use the normal word because <laughs> oh, you know because what's, what's normal. <laughs> I would I like I tend to like to use words that are a little bit more quantitative, like typical and atypical. Okay, it's definitely atypical because it's not the majority of the population. Yet, in the realm of fetishes, you know, there are the fetishes that are problematic because they hurt other people. Like if somebody has a, a fetish that they uh, you know, they're an exhibitionist or they're a voyeur, you know, or things like that. That's problematic because then you're involving other people who aren't part of your scene and aren't consenting. Yes. But things like diapers, shoes, leather, you know, the the, ga- the gamut goes on and on. They're really pretty harmless. And for those types of things, they can be done in healthy ways. I think the times when I've seen them go into unhealthy ways are when you have people who there's been so much hiding, there's so much shame and guilt that they don't know how to talk about it in a consenting way. And they kind of throw it out at people without ever discussing it or getting their consent first. And then they get into trouble. Yeah. That's when I see it coming out in unhealthy ways. But for most people, if you can talk about it with someone, explain it, go to that vulnerable place where you can be like, this is just who I am. I know it's different, but I need to talk to you about this. There are many healthy ways of dealing with it. I love that. Yeah. And there is freedom in just admitting that it's not normal or like um, typical, you know, and just saying it out loud that and it's okay to admit that it's okay to like things that aren't, aren't typical. Right. There are a lot of things that are not typical, even outside of the realm of sexuality. But certainly within the realm of sexuality, there are lots of things that are not typical that are still acceptable, can be done in a healthy manner and are not problematic. Okay. Yes, I agree. Do you have any advice for ABDLs who kind of can retreat from relationships into like kink porn and sometimes lose interest in regular sex? Is that healthy? I think it, it, you know, whether it's somebody who's ABDL or, or someone else who's retreating into porn and not engaging with their partner, usually there's something going on in the relationship that's causing the person to seek out the porn rather than a real person because the dynamics with the real person are not working well. Okay. And so... Looking at porn, masturbating to porn means it's it's a way of getting your needs met without having to deal with another person and their emotions and their needs and whatever dysfunctions are going on there. That's when I usually see that happening more and more. And I know people like to jump on the whole, oh, it's an addiction. It's like, well, no, it's really not an addiction. It's more that there's a problem 
in dealing with whatever is going on in the relationship that people don't want to face. They don't want to talk about it. And maybe they've tried, but their partner's not very willing to talk about it or address it. And so now porn is all they have to go to to get their sexual needs met without actually stepping out of the relationship, yeah. which for a lot yeah. of people is, is, you know, that's, that's too taboo to say, oh, well, this way I'm not really cheating. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Just on the topic, how do you define an addiction? And how can you tell if you're addicted to this kind of lifestyle or, or um, anything in general, basically? Well, you know, addiction is really a term that it, it, people now have misappropriately started using it for things like sex and porn. And, you know, addiction is really more appropriately used for things like alcohol and drugs where you need to detox to get off them. You know, think of, think of sex and porn more like food. You know, you, you need, you can't, if you can, food can be problematic. It can get out of control, whether it's binge eating or anorexia or bulimia, you know, food has gotten out of control, but we don't tell someone, well, don't eat for 30 days and then we're going to slowly <laughs> let you eat again. Like, no, we don't, we don't treat it that way. Um, and then people want to treat sex that way or masturbation that way. It's like, no, it's an inappropriate way of treating the problem. Of course, it can become problematic. I mean, yeah, if it's if it's interfering with your work life, your relationships, you know, maybe you're spending, you get off work and you're spending eight, nine hours on the computer looking at porn rather than interacting with your friends or your partners. Okay, now it's becoming a problem. And yeah. certainly it needs to be dealt with, but it's not really an addiction, it's more that it's just become problematic. And what else is going on that's causing the person to retreat? Yeah. What else is going on in their life? Right. To kind of want, I mean, it is an escape at the end of the day, right? To kind of. Oh, sure. It can be. An, and, and you and sex can be a great escape at times. When done in healthy ways, it can be a wonderful escape. Again, it's when it goes too far down that path of escapism. And I think it's about finding that balance for, for you personally, whoever, whoever it is, right. you know? Right. I mean, because you see people now who are escaping by spending, you know, six, eight hours on Facebook, you know, and we don't talk, start talking about Facebook addiction. Yeah. Even you though know. that's probably, you know, it's just um, not having those boundaries set and kind of letting it get a little bit out of control, it seems like. Right. It's, I always like to ask people, what are you avoiding? What are you, what are you not dealing with? in your life that's causing you to focus all of your attention on this one thing. Yes. Okay. 100%. It's just kind of like facing those demons and really asking yourself, well, why is this? Why am I feeling this way? What am I trying to escape? Exactly. Exactly. How can people find a therapist such as yourself who is open-minded and understanding if you're looking around the country, there are a couple of places which can be a good start. If someone is listed as a member of what's called ASECT, the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and then reading their profile and seeing if they have experience with kinks and fetishes and more alternative sexuality, because not all ASECT therapists have that experience. So I would double check that before just checking with anyone. The other one is the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, 
which does have a list of kink-friendly therapists, um, as well as like attorneys and doctors around the country, um, and to see if there's anyone in your area who fall into that. Lastly, I would say, if, I mean, if someone wants to work with me, I, I can always do coaching with anyone nationwide, and I can work with them through video conferencing. And, you know, I'm, I'm so used to working. I mean, I've probably seen, I, I found it interesting because occasionally I'll ask therapists how many ABDL people they've had in their practice. And I've talked to people with 15, 20, 30 years of practice, like as a sex therapist, who will tell me they've had maybe one or two, maybe three people. And I've probably seen over 20. Wow. Not to mention all the people I've talked to at various conferences like TeddyCon or CapCon or people who've emailed me because they've read my dissertation online. So I've interacted with probably several hundred ABDL individuals over the years. One of the um, people who was on my dissertation committee a couple of years ago introduced me to someone as as the expert on on adult adult babies and diaper lovers. And I kind of looked at her like, oh my God, what do you mean? <laughs> and then I thought about it for a second. I'm like, well, you're kind of right. Within the therapy world, I guess I am one of the experts. Yes, you're helping all of us come out of hiding. <laughs> yes, and, and I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, my husband jokingly refers to me as the diaper doctor. <laughs> I'm like, you know, if, if, if it's my place in life to be known as the diaper doctor, I'd be proud to be known that way, like yes. happily. Well, you're doing a great thing, and it's been such an honor talking to you. I hope you keep doing what you're doing. And honestly, I hope that people will reach out to you because it's rare to find a sex therapist, it seems, with so much experience and so much understanding of this fetish. And it's just been so helpful chatting with you. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. I'm glad we, we've had a chance to finally talk. Yes, 100%. Thank you so much for coming on Dream a Little, Rhoda. I had such a great time getting to know you, and I hope we'll be in contact soon. Yes, I would like that. All thank right. you. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it, guys. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I do have a quick announcement before I go. My boyfriend TK and I are starting a new podcast series on Patreon where we answer questions directly from you. So to join in on the fun and possibly get your questions answered, head over to patreon.com slash dreamlittle. I'll see you there.